0: How many are expecting tonight to receive something? You remember the man at the gate, beautiful in Acts chapter three, when Peter and John came by the beggar, he said, uh, Peter and John said, look on us. And the Bible says that they looked that the man looked up at him expecting to receive. Now, he wasn't necessarily expecting what Peter and John were going to deliver. He was begging for money, but he had he had a we just take that illustration and use it because it's so good. They were expecting what they what he'd asked for. Hmm? Well, he got even better than a couple pieces of silver, a couple pieces of gold. How many think walking when you never have before? Never had walked. The Bible says never. could you imagine? Crippled from the day he was born, never had walked. Peter and John come by and say in the name of Jesus, rise and walk took him by the hand. And when he did, when the man made the effort and came up with him, the power of God got behind that whole situation. The man was strengthening his legs. I mean, nerves that had never worked were connected. Is that exciting to you? But do you see that? What if he had expected nothing? What if he had ignored Peter and John? What if he, what if he, when Peter and John said, rise and walk? What if he said, well, you don't understand. I don't do that. I can't do that. I'm just here. The doctor said, I'll never walk. I never have walked a day in my life. I can't start walking now. No way. It's not going to happen. His, his expectation would have been fulfilled. He would have still been sitting there to this day had he lived that long. Well, how powerful is, is expectation? How powerful is faith? How powerful are the gifts of the Spirit of God? Because really, it wasn't that man's faith. It's not like he'd been feeding his faith along those lines. You, in other words, according to the scripture, you don't see any evidence at all that it was his faith. It was really the faith of God through Peter and John, wasn't it? More so. But, hey, however it works, as long as it works. Amen. Praise God. Amen. But the truth of the matter is we're not supposed to just say about every single Bible subject. Well, we really don't know. There's just not, you know, everybody's checking D, not enough information given. You remember in the some of the tests in school? That was one of your cho- I always I always chose that one because I never had enough information. <laughs> that must be the answer if it's there, you know. No, you can know that you're supposed to understand the, the healing power of God. You're supposed to understand faith. You're supposed to be able to cooperate with it. You're supposed to know when the TV cameras come and say, what do you think? Uh-huh. And you're supposed to be able to say, I don't think I know. I'm certain this is what God has said and this works and it'll work right now for anybody who will work it. Amen. Come on now, church. Come to church. Don't hush. Don't get quiet on me. <laughs> you will wish you hadn't. In Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, we uh, we read a lot of verses in here, but let's look particularly at the fourth and fifth verses, if you would. This is our text for what we're speaking about here. Verse four says, surely. Well, can you say that with me? Surely. Now, my Lord, you could stop and just preach on every word, couldn't you? But but surely doesn't sound like a maybe, does it? Huh? Sure. Surely doesn't sound like hope so. It sounds to me like the most positive, most concrete. Do you, do you follow me now? Yeah, yeah. Can you get any, make any stronger of an assertion than to say, surely, for sure, for sure. Okay, for sure what, Lord? Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. I'll review just briefly because uh, it's necessary to hear what we said last week is that the Hebrew words translated infirmity and the Hebrew words translated sorrow are the same Hebrew words that are all the time translated sickness and pains. Sickness and pain. And really it would be more consistent with the rest of the Old Testament had the translators just done it that way. But out of fear and out of, you know, for whatever else, they didn't. Surely he's borne our infirmities or our sicknesses and carried our sorrows or our pains. Who carried our sicknesses? Who carried our pains? You sure? It says for sure. It says surely. Surely. I like confessing this verse a whole lot. Why don't we do that? Surely. Surely. He has borne my sicknesses sicknesses. and carried carried my pains. pains. Say it again if you would. Surely he has borne my sicknesses and and carried my pains. Now see him, where did he bear them? He bore them on the cross. Where did he carry them? Farther away than you'll ever see him. Hmm? See it now as you're saying it. Picture it in your heart. Surely he has borne my sicknesses and carried my pains. Now, did that make anybody happy? What if you said it another 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 or 60 times? I'm not necessarily led to do that right now, but there's nothing that says you can't do it. There is a lot in the Bible that says you should do it. Hmm? The Bible talks about meditation. You know, so many times uh, when people think meditation, all they think of is, how do you do it like this? You know, Um, but the word meditation means to mutter like a cow chewing its cud. And if you just get the word like that and chew on it. Chew it, chew it, chew it. What happens if you chew food long enough? You'll swallow it. It'll get down in you into your innermost physical being. Well, if you chew the word long enough, it'll get down in you into your inner innermost being, your heart of hearts, your spirit of spirits. When it does, faith is present. When faith is present, it'll produce right then for you. Amen. See, God's word is so supernatural. So back to, let's read the rest of the verse if we may. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God. And didn't most of the people there, they say, man, God is getting him for something. We considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. Well, the truth (laughs) The truth was they considered that God was getting him. God was smiting him, but not the way they thought he was. He was pierced. For our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. Healed. We asked the question last time, is this talking about physical healing? Or as so many that call themselves scholars say, is this just only talking about spiritual healing? And uh, well, we answered the question by saying, certainly it's all inclusive. But certainly it is physical. As a matter of fact, I looked up the word healed. In the Hebrew, you know what you'll you'll recognize the word. It's the Hebrew word Rapha. How many have ever heard the name Jehovah Rapha? Well, it now that's a Hebrew, that's the Hebrew name for what it says over in Exodus 15, verse 26, where the Lord said, "I am the Lord that heals you, the Lord your physician." Literally is the translation. What's a physician do? Heals. And in that and now that's the first time the word was used that I know of or, you know, the first time that God associated himself with that word, Rapha, healer. And that was definitely no question about it in connection with physical healing. I mean, no argument there. He said none of these diseases will come on you. Well, how much more physical do you want to get? Talking about disease. None of these diseases will come on you that came upon the Egyptians for I am the Lord, your healer. I am Jehovah Rapha. That same word Rapha is the word used where it says by his wounds. You are Rapha healed. Healed. Besides that, talking about is this talking about a physical thing or just a spiritual thing? Besides that, you never See the word healed in the whole Bible used in connection with what happens to us spiritually when we come to Christ. You just don't see it. If you do, show me, I'd like to see. You don't see the the, the, the whole Bible just does not use the word healing or healed to talk about what happens to our spirits. And and you can see why, because healing Really, uh, the word implies a restoration of something that has been broken. And certainly we were bro- broken. I mean, beyond broken, right? In, with sin. But the Lord didn't just restore our broken spirits. He recreated us. Yes, he, he said, I've given you a new heart. Mm-hmm. Talking about your inner man. Yeah. Didn't say I healed the old, the old nature. Said I've given you a new nature. I've given you a new life recreated us if any man's in Christ he is a new creation so really the word healing doesn't even apply there so is this talking about spiritual healing or physical healing definitely physical maybe more because if you just want to use the word wholeness right if you look back at verse 5 the punishment that brought us peace now I normally don't give you a lot of definitions in Hebrew and Greek stuff. Uh, One reason is because I'm not a not fluent in either of those languages. But when especially when the Lord deals with me, too, I'll look up the words. And that word peace is the word shalom. Shalom. How many have heard that word before? It's the Hebrew greeting. Shalom, shalom. And, uh, you know, without without giving you the the 10 minute version of what it means. It means nothing missing and nothing broken. It means wholeness, completeness. It includes healing, it includes prosperity. It's wholeness and abundance in every way. That's what the word means. Every time people in Israel say shalom, they're prophesying over each other. Amen. Shalom. Nothing missing. Nothing broken. They use it to say hello, goodbye, and peace. It's a great word. I mean, it's a it's a huge huge word in the Old Testament. The ch- the punishment for our wholeness. Look at the verse, please, if you would. The punishment that brought us what? Let's say wholeness. wholeness. The punishment that brought us wholeness was on him and with his wounds, we are healed. whole or healed. Can you see that? It actually makes the sentence make more sense. And it's not we're not doing any injustice to the scripture. We're actually, you know, doing doing it a little more like like what the Lord had in mind. I believe the punishment that brought us wholeness was on him. And with his wounds, we're whole. We're healed. We're healed. So that's what I that's why I say, at least it's definitely talking about physically, possibly a whole lot more than that. You know, because it may it may be intended to mean wholeness. Praise God. But do you know that every single person that Jesus ministered healing to while he was on the earth, it all had its basis in Isaiah 53. It was all based legally. The reason that God could pour out his love was because he had the legal right to do so because of what Jesus was about to accomplish on the cross. The legal part of it. So why, why all this, though? If we want to answer these questions, and we do, you have to discover the origin of sickness and disease. Why is it a legal situation? Hmm? Why, why can't God just, out of love, just heal everybody? If you were God, isn't that what you would do? Huh? Can we look? This isn't too technical for you, is it? I mean, I'll try and keep it simple. Can we look at the origin of sickness and disease? I mean, where did it come from anyhow? Well, God sends it on people that don't obey him. Well, if he sent it on people, he would have had to create it. And the Bible says that everything God created was good. I mean, the Lord would create something and say, that's good. That wasn't an egotistical statement. It was just God's good. So everything he makes is good. He created man. He said, oh, that's very good. Very, very good. Six days he created it all, right? On which day did he create malaria? Huh? On which day did he create cancer? He didn't. He didn't. Well, if God didn't create it, then for God to put it on you, he'd have to steal it from the devil. He'd have to steal it from somewhere. Where's he going to get it? There's none in heaven. Would you turn with me, please, in the Bible to Genesis chapter two. Genesis, you know, the I mean, the word Genesis means beginnings or origins. In Genesis two. You know, it's, it's really kind of humorous, isn't it? Looking back on it, that God, I mean, God made all this stuff. In Genesis one and even into Genesis two, you still see him making everything and the account of it. Genesis one and two, God's making it all right. And it's all good and very good. Do you know by Genesis three, it was all ruined. Man didn't make it half a chapter. You thought you had problems. (laughs) We don't know how long actually went by, but it doesn't seem like it was too long of a time. Genesis 2. In verse 15, would you would you look down there at that verse? Verse 15, Genesis 2 says that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely do what? You'll die. God said this, and then the next thing the Lord said was, I better not leave him alone. It's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. I, I don't know if it didn't get, get through Adam's skull or what. God said, I better give him somebody to help. Well, big help she was. What did God say? Look, Adam, you are free. This is all yours. I made it for you. How many believe the Garden of Eden was just some spectacular kind of place in every way? Adam, I made this all. I made all this there's provision for you. There's the trees you can eat freely of any of them, except there's one in the midst of a garden. Don't eat of it. How come? The day you do, the day you do, you will surely die. Well, now look right over into the third chapter, if you would. Genesis 3. Oh, we could read right at verse 1. Now, this is, I mean, we just read the end of chapter 2. It's towards the end, didn't we? Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, let me ask you a question. Is that what God said? You can't eat from any tree? You know, the devil will twist scripture and use it against you. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Uh, Really, we don't have any record that he said don't touch it, but Adam probably told her that. Just don't touch it. What did the devil say? You will not surely die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Of course, he's deceiving. When the woman, verse six, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. He ate it. Verse seven says the eyes of both of them were opened. Now, question for you. Did God say that the day you eat of it, your eyes will both be opened? He said the day you eat of it, you'll surely. We talked about surely. Hmm? The day you eat of it, you will surely die. Did they? Did they die the day they ate it? Some say yes, some say no. I mean, do you know how long Adam lived on earth? It was just not, not too much under a thousand years. Well, you could interpret it this way. The Bible does say with, a thousand, with the Lord, a day is as a thousand years. So in one sense, Adam didn't live a day. But I believe that the, 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 the more truer interpretation is that God wasn't talking about his physical body alone he died spiritually yeah. and what his eyes were opened to was not a good thing his he didn't become more like god with his eyes open what he the, the reason he saw things he didn't see before was because the glory of the lord departed from him amen You know, when you get the glory of God on your life, you see things as God sees them. When you're filled with His power, when you're filled with His Spirit, you see things very differently, don't you? Huh? Anybody here, you've seen things differently since you've been saved than before? Amen. So He said, The day you eat of it, Mm -hmm. you'll die. The very day. They did. They did to die. You know, when the Bible talks about dying, it's not talking about you just stopped existing physically. You know, when you die physically. You don't stop existing. Hmm? The part of you that's that's on the inside lives forever and ever and ever. The word in the Bible, the word die means separation. If you die physically. The real you, the man on the inside, separates from your body, doesn't it? You look back on your body and say, that was fun. Thank you. And you, you drift off. If you're a Christian, you go to heaven. If you haven't been saved, you descend to hell. That's terrible. But death is separation. Doesn't mean you don't exist anymore, right? Well, what about spiritually? When, you, when you're spiritually dead, what are you? You are separated from God. You're separated from God. I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter 5. Everyone say thank God God. for healing. Oh man, I'm so thankful. Romans 5. We're trying to answer the question here. When did when did sickness and disease come into the picture? I mean, God didn't create it. So how did it happen? When did it come in? We just read. Where it happened, but are you in Romans five yet? Romans five. Verse 12. Romans five, 12 says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. How did death get in the world? When, sin, when they sinned, that's why we talk about sin. When sin came in, death resulted. God said it would. He said, Guys, you eat this. Eat this fruit. The day you eat it, you'll die. You'll be separated. Death came in the day sin came in. Well, pastor, what does that have to do with what we're talking about? What does that have to do with finding out the origin of sickness and disease? Because sickness is nothing more than a manifestation of spiritual death in the physical body. Did you get that? Sickness is a manifestation of spiritual death in the physical body. How long was Adam supposed to live when God created him? You know, the reason that God kicked him out of the garden, he said, we, we got to get him out of here. He'll eat of the tree of life and live on forever in death. Well, God never said, don't eat of the tree of life, did he? He said, no, just that one tree. I know we're getting a little deep in this here. And uh, that's okay. God will get us out. (laughs) Sickness is a manifestation of spiritual death in your physical body. Adam was never supposed to die. Well, somebody asked, where would all the people go? There's lots of other planets, too. Huh? Who says God just made one for us to be to be on? Amen. I don't I'm not pretending that I know all the answers, but hey, anyhow, there was no sickness in the earth until there was death in the earth. There was no death in the earth till there was sin in the earth. Sickness is connected to death. Do you see that? If you don't believe it, just get sick enough long enough and see what happens. Hmm? Is it is it not true that enough sickness Over a long period of time, we'll kill you Hmm? pretty much every time, right? (laughs) Sickness, then, is a manifestation of, of death, like we said, in the physical body. It's a byproduct of death. It's an offshoot. It's a part of the consequence of death. It's produced by death. Satan and sin are responsible for introducing death. Therefore, they're the ones... It's responsible for sickness. There was no sickness, like we said, until there was death, right? There was no death until there was sin. There was no sin until Satan came along and tempted. So who do we trace the origin of sickness back to? Not God. Not God. He didn't create it on the first day. He didn't create it on the second day. He didn't create it on third, fourth, fifth or sixth day. He certainly didn't create it on seventh day when he was kicking back. Say, oh, this is all very, very good. But I mean, we don't get a chapter later. And there we have it. Death is in the world. There's a connection all through the Bible between sin and sickness. they are linked throughout the Bible. I'd like you to turn to first. Where are you in Romans? Turn to first Peter 2. Are you seeing any things here in this tonight? God wants us well. Now I'm going to say something. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. I'll give you some scripture for it. Um, when sickness shows up in your body, it does not necessarily mean that you send it in your body. You know what I mean? Did you get that? Does not necessarily mean, oh, I must have sinned. That's why this thing showed up. Uh, But I'll talk to you about that in a little bit. First Peter 2. We'll just look at a couple verses here and then we'll pick this up next time, okay? There's a connection, I said, between sin and sickness. I want you to look all the way down at the 24th verse. And it says this: He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Does that sound familiar to, to you guys? Sounds like what we read before in Isaiah. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. What, are we t- what is he talking about here? Sins. Sins. That we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been what? What does that have to do with what he's talking about? Huh? I thought he was talking about sin. Now he's talking about Sickness. How many see a connection? They're grouped right together here, aren't they? He himself took bore our sins. What is sickness? It's a manifestation of death. Where does death come from? Sin leads to it. Sin brought it in the world. When he bore our sins, he bore our sicknesses. So Peter talks about the greater thing that he bore that includes the lesser. Him, him, he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins. Don't you know that when you are you and I are born into the family of God, you're to reckon yourself dead to sin yep. hmm? and live according to the new nature instead of the way you were. I mean, you can choose to live according to the old. But how many have found the road a lot smoother living for God, you know, all the way. That we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by His wounds you have been healed. One more, uh, well, go to Luke five if you would, because we'll see we'll see another place where just that connection is made. Luke five. Have you got it? Yes, got it. OK, that's enough people that said they've got it. You need me to wait. Say, hang on. You're in Luke five, right? Look at verse 17. This is in the life of Jesus. It says one day as he was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Right. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they couldn't find a way to do this because of the crowd. They went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, notice it mentions their faith. How many other how many here tonight? You, you can see their faith. huh? Because if you're not expecting something awesome and something miraculous to happen, you would not hoist a paralyzed guy up on the roof, break up the tiling on the roof and get him down there. You agree with that? And if you were the paralyzed guy, you would not lay there on your mat and let those guys, you know, for all you know, it was Moe, Larry, Curly and Shep, whatever the guy, Shem, whatever his name was. You wouldn't let those guys haul you up on the roof. You know, the, now all of a sudden when they're pulling you up, you're going vertical and yeah. paralyzed. No, you don't do that unless you just know <laughs> I'm going in through the roof, but I'm walking out the door. Yeah. Yeah. Praise God. Well, Jesus saw their faith and look what he said to them, to him, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, did anybody not tell Jesus that the guy came for healing, not salvation? Hmm. Nobody gave him that memo, right? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, they're right, but that's that's who was doing it. Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to do what? To do what, everybody? Are you reading? To forgive forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them and took what he'd been lying on and went home praising God. Man, at least he obeyed Jesus. But I want you to notice that when he said... Uh, which is easier to say your, your sins are forgiven or, or rise and be walk. Rise and be walk. Rise up and walk. He, he didn't look at the man and say, your sins are forgiven. He looked at him and said, get up. He had told him earlier about his sins being forgiven. Do you see that Jesus just interchanged the two? Either that or he's switching subjects, something awful. Huh? Huh? Don't switch subjects on me right in the middle. No, if you can take care of the sin problem, when Jesus took care of the sin problem, he took care of the sickness problem. Well, why don't more people have it? Because who preaches it? Huh? Lots of people are scared too. I just figure I'm going to preach what God told me to and let him bail me out. Right? Besides, I'm not the one that makes it happen. But how many have experienced it? Praise God. One more passage now, because I left you hanging here. Go over to John chapter nine. I made a statement earlier because when you talk about the fact that sin and sickness are connected in the Bible. Sickness is a byproduct of sin. Well, a lot of people, they would would, uh, let their minds tell them, well, man, if if I have sickness, it must be because of my sin. Sometimes, but not all the time, and I'll show you why I say that. John 9, did you find John 9? I didn't, but I'm heading there. John 9 is another great, great story. As he went along, verse 1 says, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The disciples just assumed He's blind because somebody missed it. Look what Jesus said. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. I'm not going to read the rest of it, but let me just tell you that the man was healed. Born blind, I mean, born blind. Can you imagine it? Born blind, never had seen anything. Now he sees. Oh, I don't know if I believe that. It works for those who believe it, not for those who don't believe it. I'll tell you, I can tell you testimony after testimony. I mean, ask Mark Bowling, who comes here sometimes, you know, he's seen blind eyes open lots of times. God still does that today, doesn't he? Yeah. Amen. So we're laying a foundation here. And what we're doing is we're building into ourselves the fact and proving from the word of God That we don't have to beg God for healing. We have to just have our eyes open to what he's already provided and receive it. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Why don't you stand up, everybody? Are you excited about this? I'll tell you, I sure didn't get through much of my notes. But I'm going to be here next week. Are you? Huh? We'll come back then. Say this with me, if you would. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your goodness, for your mercy. Thank you for a full redemption that includes forgiveness of sins, the healing of disease and abundant provision. Thank you for it in Jesus name. Amen.